lot of self-tape, you know, not many people get in the room and I don't know if it will ever go back. I think we get into dangerous territory when our whole existence is only validated by the work. I think whatever way you do it and whatever works for you is the right way. Danny from Actors Coaching International in the US. Hello, Daniel from Actors Coaching International in the UK. So, Danny, what classes does ACI provide? I'm so pleased you asked that, Daniel. We provide weekly core acting classes. Online and in person. We run self-tape classes. Casting director workshops. Audition-ready classes. Industry professional workshops with award-winning directors. Script analysis sessions. Intensive two-day acting workshops. Why not go to actorscoachinginternational.com to find out more. Hello, Charlie. You're in the room with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing... The honest answer is, and I think we should always give an honest answer, I'm a little bit tired today because the work schedule's been intense, but the sun is shining and I'm going to see a play today and I'm home for a week. So for those reasons, and because I'm here, I feel good. I'm glad you snuck that in at the end there. I was about to be like, and I just want to get this podcast done with <laughs> but, yeah. no, people go oh I'm fine I'm fine and actually I'm like you know sometimes I'm I feel really fucking tired yeah. and that's all right it's okay well let's crack on with the questions then we don't want to delay you any longer so the first question is pretty much the hardest one out of all of them we'll start off with a strong one but we've got to ask every single one of our guests this how do actors get in the room Oh my God, it's, do they even get in the room these days? They don't really. No, no do we, we don't, do we, Christian? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, the world of self-tape, you know, not many people get in the room and I don't know if it will ever go back. And actually, you know, breaking into the industry is so hard for actors unless I think you were working from, from a really young age or unless you went to drama school and you had a showcase at the end where you picked up an agent. And so there lies the catch-22 problem. And actually with I Am Pro, that is something that we're trying to solve, which I know we're going to talk about this later, but it sort of feeds into this question because it's so hard if you haven't got an agent, you can't get seen, you you can't get an agent if you haven't got a body of work. It's a real problem, you know. It's and I think the industry is screaming out for sort of raw, authentic talent. And so what we're trying to do at I Am Pro actually is create a pathway for actors into the industry by we have get seen showcases all the time where we have agents come down, casting directors, TV, film directors, and they get the opportunity to perform in front of them just as another avenue for people to kind of find their way in. It's quite elitist and there's in front of and behind the camera, there's quite a lot of nepotism. So I think it's really fucking hard, but it's not impossible. And I think if it's in your bones and if it's something you love and you can be resilient and get through the brutal rejection, then you're in with a chance. And that's the phrase, isn't it? You're in with a chance. And I think sometimes a little a little bit of realism to accompany those dreams, almost to take the pressure off in a way. Because I think some people go, well, if I even actually consider the, the logical side of this, then I'm never going to succeed. But just a little bit to go, well, you know, I'm not meant to succeed in this in terms of numbers. Does that almost take the pressure off, you think, for some people? I don't know. I mean, I think you have to do it because you love it. I think, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday oh that's you emailing me <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
we were having a conversation about the type of work you want to do and what it actually means to be a jobbing actor and, and how hard it actually is to be a jobbing actor versus the 0.01% of people who we listen to on podcasts that actually succeed in big films. And, you know, they've. I think people should dream big. I think people should go after what they want. I think it needs to be in your bones. I think you need to love it. I think there's a danger that people fall out of love with it because it's so brutal. And I don't know if this is answering your question at all. I've sort of gone off on a bit of a tangent, but I think fundamentally, uh, I'm trying to think of something profound to say in my little my little tired head this morning. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good there, honestly, Chai. I totally get what you're saying, though. It is it is that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. The pressures of success, I think, are tough, and you know, you have to do the day to day, and that involves doing jobs that you might not like. That involves touring for a year, which might be really fucking hard work that people don't want to do. You know, it can feel repetitive. It can, you know, it can look like so many different things. And I think, you know, on that note, as long as you try and keep your life full alongside what you're doing as an actor. I think that's really important because I think we get into dangerous territory when our whole existence is only validated by the work. You know, there are some people that are like that. And I'm definitely someone who's ambitious. I'm you know, I have drive. I want more. What can I do next? But I have to make sure that my cup is full elsewhere because if it was just all about that, then I don't think my mental state would be in a very good place. Totally understand that. Well, let's go back to the start of your career. So what brought you initially to working in this industry in the first place? Well, I went to pantomime when I was very little. And then my local drama school teacher, Maureen, cast me in Willie Russell's play Our Day Out. And I had to do a Liverpudlian accent. And she was Liverpudlian. And she was like, oh, you can do that accent better than I can. And somebody else was expected to get that part. And she gave it the part of Carol to me. And I think the other mum apparently went round and gave her a really hard time. But it was a gorgeous play where, you know, she has this song and it's about escaping her town and getting to the seaside for the first time. And, you know, she stands on the edge of this cliff and sort of sings, why can't it always be this way? And in that moment and in that experience of that little community theatre project my love for it was born really and Maureen said to me I want you to go over to that news agents get the stage and we're going to write to all the drama schools okay that's what go on off you go and it's just sort of across the way and so that's what we did and I got the yellow pages and got all the numbers and it took me two years to persuade my parents to let me move to London because I'm from a really small town in North Wales so everyone's like what is she going to do when she gets there? Like, it's in it, like you say, it feels like an impossible career to kind of break into. But there was a part of me that just knew from that early, there was no other question. There was nothing else that ever came in. And I just knew with every part of me that it'd be okay, that I'd be doing it. I shared determination, wild belief, I suppose, at that age. And then, yeah, I moved to London when I was 13. My brother came along for the ride. He then ended up getting a scholarship, but I, I was full paying. Boys and you know, drama schools, they didn't have that many of them. So if one came in, then they go, he'll work. Let's, let's get him. And he did. He didn't stop working. It was amazing. It was a really tough experience because we were away from our parents. I can remember ringing my mum every break time, crying my eyes out from the phone box across from the school. Just like, you know, I was like this small town girl. So I think I sort of always felt a bit out of my depth, which has definitely led into some insecurities. And, you know, I go into situations now, whether they're personal ones or professional ones, and I sort of always feel slightly out of my depth. I'm learning to battle that, you know, the imposter syndrome or whatever it is. But my mum then ended up moving to London and then I got a bold commercial when I was really young because you get a, an agent with this drama school. And then I got a TV series that I did and it sort of went on for there. I did a few months at Arts Ed before I then got EastEnders. Me and Matt both went to Arts Ed. Wow. Did you? Yeah. 
No, we did. Yeah. Slightly different trajectory, though, Charlie. Yeah. We we sort of went up, and then the parachute sort of ripped on the way down. And we. <laughs> when were you there? 2013 to 2016, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, yeah. that was. Those were those were the years. And were, you, were you MT or acting? Acting. Yeah, yeah very acting. much acting. I don't think we'd have made it through a morning on the MT course, would we, Christian? <laughs> Neither would I. Well, I went for the MT course, you see, because I love musical theatre. Did the ballet audition. I mean, it was so embarrassing. The ballet teacher came and sort of held my hand and brought me to the front of the class. And she was like, oh, sweetheart, I'll hold your hand. Don't worry, do this. Oh. <laughs> and then they said, we don't think you are right for the MT course, but we have this foundation drama course. So it was where you could go and study drama as well as do your two A-levels, which I never completed. Yeah, I did know you liked uh, musical theatre. I spoke to Jared earlier and he mentioned uh, your nickname, um, Broadway Brooks. Broadway Brooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have my moments. I have my moments. I was obsessed with it growing up. Well, my flatmate, when Rent first came to London, my flatmate Wayne was first cover angel so we used mm. to get like really cheap 10 pound tickets and i know every single word to every single song i was obsessed with it but yeah i, I love a bit of me and gerard would uh would sing some broadway songs when we were on tour together which is nice i'd love to move on to eastenders obviously a massive part of your life and i've got several questions on that you played the role of janine butcher in the famous east end London soap opera. Playing a series regular in a soap is not an acting job for the faint-hearted, as we all know. What are the biggest challenges you face as an actor on a day-to-day basis? And what skills should an actor playing a a major role in a soap possess? Say goodbye to your life and your friends. (laughs) It can be quite relentless because you can be working across 12, sometimes 16 different episodes. So you're on three or four blocks. Each block has four episodes. So you know, you can imagine the workload, especially when you're heavily storylined. The intensity of that and then the line learning when you get home, I think is probably the most challenging part of it. That's recently when I did a the comeback last year, I felt a little bit like towards the end, like I was drowning. I was just like, it wasn't Mick that was drowning, it was me. I was just trying to keep my head above water, <laughs> learning all of the lines and, and showing up and, and being able to make brave, bold decisions quickly, you know. So it taught me really well to, you know, respond quickly. I think that stands me in good stead, actually. But what it has done is if I start overthinking it and give myself too many decisions, then, you know, I can sort of fall into no man's land with the character. You know, if I have to think quickly on my feet, you have to make a decision, which was easy for her because I kind of have played her for so long. So I know her inside out. Um, But I do find now if I have too much time and I overthink it too much, I sort of dance around all different types of possibilities. And so I need to take some of that decision making through to other jobs. Can I know? must go from zero to 100 emotionally really quickly episode upon episode yes. for one of the word do you have a process to access those emotions truthfully or any tips for actors looking to do the same quickly as well as it's really hard when it's so repetitive and like you say you're jumping from storyline to storyline for me music can play a really big part I like I have to zone out for a couple of minutes before never be afraid to say to the first AD you know do you mind just give me a, a couple of minutes then just give me a tap on the shoulder when you're ready I can get physical with something I mean it's a bit embarrassing really but I have this sort of little movement that I do ahead of a scene to give it some sort of energy and I think don't be afraid if it doesn't come And but if they want tears you know and you can always use tear stick as well, which some people are like, ah, not tear stick. But actually it can, you know, it can help you to get into a space sometimes. And that's if they definitely want, you know, close up tears, da, 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 and it's it's not coming for whatever reason. And I would say most actors that are on filming sets would 
probably be partial to a blow of the menthol in the eye. <laughs> but it is one of those things, isn't it, where I think, especially maybe actors that are a bit more green and haven't had a lot of that experience, feel like it all has to be legitimate and genuine and artistic. And if they don't do it that way, then they've somehow failed. But is it almost when, when you're on a soap set, it's it's one of those instances where I think we actually spoke to Jared about this and he said something on the lines of, well, you just have to do it. Because if you don't do it, then it's done, right? There's just a pressure of you kind of got to let everything go because there's no time to think. And would you sort of advise people to ahead of these sort of days? Obviously, you, you want to enjoy it. And if you can do it artistically, then great. But to not put pressure on yourself to do things the way that you think an actor should. Yeah. I think whatever way you do it and whatever works for you is the right way. I think we can all get so hung up and go, well, so-and-so does it like that. I have to do that. That doesn't mean I'm a serious actress if I do this or, you know, and as soon as you just let all that shit go about what other people think and what other people are doing and and you've done the work, you've prepared and, and there's always a lot of work to do and, you know, and you set yourself up in the right way on a set because there's so much shit going on around you all of the time. You've got 30, 40, 50 people. You've got people talking at your head, playing with your face tugging with your costume it's you know it can be it can be really challenging but if you do the work and if you trust yourself and I think general note in life is try and let go of expectation and you can't be disappointed then yeah just do your best really and if something's not coming then have a conversation with the director and just go I'm not feeling this at this point or maybe that works in that moment it doesn't you know often when people are crying they don't want to be crying it's they're apologizing and wiping it away and it's and it's more about the emotion and the intent that you put behind that that is where it comes from, you know, the feeling and that's what makes people feel. And you've left and come back to EastEnders, as you said, you mentioned the comeback on, on a few occasions. Did you ever change your approach at all when you returned? Because obviously you would have gone away, done other acting gigs and, and come back. Or were there any challenges stepping back into those shoes or the demands of being a soap regular? Earlier, you sort of half mentioned uh, the line learning again when you just came back the last time was quite difficult. Yeah, I found that really hard. And whether that's because I'm 41 now... <laughs> I, d I don't know, but line learning, I have to say, I, I try not to say this out loud too much because I don't want to breathe the energy into it, but it's the most laborious part of the job. As far as process is concerned, I think I've made a lot of changes in my life, right, over the last four years. And so this time when I went back, it felt like a very different experience because I'm much more present, I think, than I ever have been. I'm much more awake to myself, to what I want. I'm much more confident in, what, in my opinions around what I think the character should be and, and suggestions of possible storylines, which, you know, is great. But I've never really had that before. I've sort of flirted around with it a little bit, but never quite had the backbone to sort of follow that through. So... I don't know. I think I, I just felt, I felt more alive and more present in everything I was doing this time around for whatever reason. And I think it's an age thing. I think it's, you know, you learn more. I think with I Am Pro, I never went to drama school, right? So, well, I went for those few months to Arts Ed when I was 16. But when I say drama school, I mean one of the big ones. So I've always had that slight insecurity carried around with me that I don't know enough and I'm not good enough and I should be doing it like that or I should have gone to RADA or I should another reason why we set up I Am Pro. And I've learned a lot from setting that up and, you know, being part of that, setting it up with my brother and Emma, who are on the ground running with it generally, but from the coaches. And, you know, I listen more now, I pay attention more and I observe more of everything that's around me. And I think all of that is really useful to bring into characters. Mad, you want to continue with the next one? 
Yeah, well, you were sort of leading into it anyway, Charlie. You were talking about I Am Pro, and, and we mentioned at the start as well that you founded an online drama school with your brother Ben and your sister Emma. And the goal on the, you know, the phrase on the website was to make arts education accessible to all. Why was that the chosen ethos for the business, or why is that the chosen ethos for the business? And what do actors get if they sign up? Actually, Emma's my sister-in-law, so Ben and Emma are married, and then there's Ah, Emma and there's me. Drama school can be really fucking expensive, and there's a big pool of people that can't get in. If you want to go and take a class, they're usually in big cities, and they're usually between, at the cheapest end, 50 quid, at the the biggest end, 150 quid for one session. COVID hit, but this idea actually came before COVID, and I thought the demand for online learning, for rich, good, high-quality online learning was needed. And and so we sort of came up with this idea. It happened very organically about making a platform that was accessible to people, regardless of where you live in the UK or globally. You can access drop-in classes, courses with directors, casting directors, people from the industry, from London's, New York's best coaches, you know, from Bristol or Vic or Lambda or RADA. How do we bring all of those brilliant people together and create something that people might be able to afford and access? And so I Am Pro was born. And it's been an extraordinary journey. It's been very malleable because actually at first it was just going to be the idea was at first it would just be all on demand and it would be like a library of videos that people can sort of watch at their own time at their own leisure and and we have that we have an on-demand library of content from some brilliant brilliant voice Shakespeare Made Easy, Building Blocks for Acting, From Beginning to Advanced, Meisner Technique, different dialects. There's so much on there. And we realized that actually the demand for live classes was really there. So we started doing live courses. Now we have like a gym timetable of classes that actors can drop into weekly. We have, I have directors. It's basically my little black book of people that I have to go beg, steal a borrow from without shame. Go, really go on and do this. And people are so up for coming on and doing masterclasses. We've had Sharon Horgan, Saran Jones, O.T. Fag Benley, Nicholas Pinnock, Daisy May Cooper. You know, we've had so many brilliant people on. And then, of course, there's I mentor. And now I don't know what I know about anything, by the way, but I do a mentoring <laughs> once a month where we all, and it's really an actor's sharing space. So there's about 45 of us on there, 50. It depends, you know, it's growing, it's growing. So we we'll have to think about adding more, but will we just take a couple of minutes to each share our experiences, whatever fears we've got, whatever celebrations we've got, and we all pitch in and, and help each other guile this self-tape booth was brilliant or this, you know, show real person was excellent or, you know, I'm, I didn't get the job, whatever that might be, a really safe kind of sharing space for people to come to. And we have industry sessions so you know more about what goes on behind the camera because I think it's really important. People that are just getting into this don't know if someone's like going 10-1 or I don't know you know all the lingo that sort of happens on set 10-1 is a we by the way that's quite a bad example but you know the lingo of what the camera is and all that sort of thing because we want people to feel prepared for their first job and we've just had one of our students who's been with us to the start get a part with Nina Gold which was amazing we've got an agency that we've started alongside it now which i don't have too much to do with but my my brother and the team run and it's just starting to really build and grow and yeah I, I really hope that we are able to create this pathway to help aspiring actors but what's also been amazing is that at first we thought it might all be really young people 16 17 wanting to get in but there's a lot of older people on there that are 
said they went to drama school, they had to get a job, they started a family, they've forgotten their dreams, that it's sort of rediscovering as a hobby, as a potential to do it for something serious. You know, so it's, we've got so many wonderful, interesting, brilliant people on there. And then actors who are working currently. So we've got the pro grad course for those people. When I finish the play, I'm going to be going on and, um, and doing some of the classes. I need to brush up on my American accent, which is rather. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot on there. That sounds amazing. We'll have to go online and check it out, Matt. Come on to one of yeah. the classes. Sometime. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. That would be wicked. Yeah. Hi, we're selftape.co.uk, but uh, don't forget the hyphen. That's self-tape.co.uk. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's a mouthful worth chewing on. Uh, anyway, as the name suggests, we do self-tapes for actors in London. Maybe you've run out of time. Maybe you have kids. Perhaps you can't find a reader. Or, let's face it, you could just be a little bit shit at setting everything up. Well, that's where we come in. But it's not all we offer, no. We also shoot showreels for actors, too. Custom showreel scenes shot from scratch to show casting directors and agents exactly what you can do. Well, that is, if they can be bothered to watch. Any In The Room listeners get 10% off all of our services just by quoting In The Room. So get in touch and visit www.selftape.co.uk. Or don't. It's completely up to you. But whatever you do, do don't forget the hyphen, self hyphen to ah. You get it. I mentioned the play. So at the time of recording, you're currently playing. And please correct me if I butcher the name. Ursula Scarthatch. Is that right? It's two different parts. <laughs> Ursula yeah. Monkton and yeah. uh, the character of Scarthatch. They're two different yeah. things. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. the National Theatre touring production of uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane. So I've got two questions on this. Fantasy is an amazing genre of fiction, but one that some actors struggle when approaching it to keep their performance natural and believable when delivering lines about, you know, monsters and wizards and things like that. How do you go about approaching the text and your character for this role? Mm. Actually, this was quite, it was quite a challenge for me because it was very easy to lean into the obvious kind of witchy, nasty territory. So Katie Rudd, who directed it and I, had big conversations about playing against that. And, you know, I think you have to, with a piece like this, performance-wise, it is heightened. It's stylized, right? It's It has to be bigger and it's not as naturalistic as it, as it might be. And for that reason, I found it really hard to find it in the rehearsal room. And it wasn't until I got on stage and I had the clothes on, and which caused me, you know, a couple of breakdowns quietly inside it. My process is, and I have to remind myself of this every time, I do rehearsals about halfway through the rehearsals I'll think I'm shit I'm not getting it I I don't know what the character is and then one thing one scene will hit and I'll go oh and it's like I drop into the slipstream that didn't happen for ages on this one it's like I've not felt I'm I'm not in the slipstream yet I don't I'm not I'm shit I can't do this and of course it's working with the National Theatre so I really wanted to make a good impression and so as soon as I got on stage, so the rehearsal period, and I came into the rehearsal period late as well because I've been filming EastEnders, but the cast is brilliant in this show. And as soon as we got it on that stage at the Lowry, and as soon as I saw the enormity and the spectacle of what it is, it was like she suddenly arrived. And and for me with this, it's playing against all the obvious. You know, she's, and again, playing somebody that is potentially bad, depending on how you choose to see her. You have to look at and understand what it is you sympathize about that character. And unlike, uh, and similar to other characters I play, the similarities I think are that she's just uh, looking to belong and has been abandoned somewhere. 
somewhere for a very long time and wants to find a home and feel loved, I suppose. Uh, I suppose. And so Katie Rudd had a good note that, that she gave to us in rehearsals, be strong and wrong. And I sort of take that with me, I think. I love that. I'm just going to jump in with a question there before you ask that second one that we got prep, Christian, is that obviously it's an adaptation of, of a book, Neil Gaiman's book. It's been adapted. And it really interests me when actors do work that is an adaptation of a book already, or maybe taking something from stage onto film or film onto stage or something like that. Did you read the book or did you not read the book? And if so, why? And did you do anything with it? So I was do, filming all those Christmas episodes at the time. So the schedule was insane. Mm. So on my drives to work, I was listening to the book. But uh. um, if I'm honest, I don't know how much of it I absorbed. And actually, I don't know how important it is. So Trevor, who plays the dad in it, he didn't read the book. Because he, God, what was it he said now? A, it's adapted, so it's changed. The story is slightly different. In the book, the mum is still alive and well, and the dad sort of is having an affair. And in the play adaptation that Joel has done, she died. And it makes the father's character more sympathetic somehow, I think, and it really works for on stage. Generally, I would think that I should read the book, and that is what I should be doing. But actually, if it's different from the script and what you're playing, I don't think it's essential. Totally with you on that. It was such a major plot point difference as well. And I think yeah. some people might get sort of buried in it with so, you know, like looking back as a kid when I watched Lord of the Rings, and you had all these people on the film set. Some of them had the book with them and were obsessed with it, and others were like, nope, don't want it anywhere near me. And it's interesting how that might be perceived. But as you say, with such a major plot point, that totally changes things. It almost gives you permission to go, well, I can take, but I but I don't have to. Yeah, I'm definitely going to read more of Neil's work, though, when I finish the play. Oh, yeah. Because it, like, the themes that run through it are so deep. And we're still, there, there were three of us in the car driving back last night, and we're still discussing the fucking play. <laughs> like, <laughs> we've been doing it for six months, twice a day, nearly every day. It's like, we still talk about it and go, well, it could be that. Well, no, that doesn't work if that's what you think it is. We and Trevor have arguments about it. <laughs> There's something I've always been curious about. I've never taught myself, and you mentioned six months there. How easy or, or not, equally so, is it to adapt to the effects of touring, um, different venues, audiences, traveling? I can imagine it's really hard work. I've never done it for this long. So that is, and I'm doing it till June. It's a, a year long tour and I'm actually coming out in June. So I'm just doing half of it. I love it. There's definitely, a, I, we were saying last night how lucky we are like to be on the road, see different parts of the UK. Not that we're getting to see much of the UK and some parts of the UK are a little bit undesirable, but <laughs> you know, it's full. It's just what we do and ha meeting new people and going into these extremely close bubbles for a certain amount of time. And then you go back to your life you know it's it's wild it's a wild kind of brilliant job to have and we were saying how lucky we felt last night but it is hard it's hard to be away from home I've got an 18 year old who's going off to New York to do experimental theatre which would be amazing in oh, wow. September so I'm really craving being back home but I'm pretty good at adapting and kind of you know and getting on with it on tour I think but it can feel you can feel a bit untethered and a bit detached from your life and I'm basically eating my way around the UK at the moment. Does the show at that point almost become a point of comfort? 
because while the location's changing, you're traveling different venues, all this, and obviously you'll still miss home and your family, of course, but the show is the constant, even though the location is different. Does it almost feel like when you then get into the show, of course, there's a thing, then you're acting, you're doing your job, you're enjoying it for that reason. But is there almost a comfort of routine into even though I'm, I'm here and we were here yesterday, I know what I'm doing in this moment? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and also it's getting together with everybody else and getting into the building and seeing the new stage and setting it all up. And there's definitely a, a, there's a comfort and freedom in being on stage anyway, isn't there? It sort of takes you out of self momentarily. So yeah, I'd say that's probably true. It's repetitive, but it also gives you an opportunity to keep discovering new things. It's really cemented my fearful of saying it cemented my confidence on stage because I don't think that's true, but it's given me an opportunity to, you know, really kind of home in what it is I do and how comfortable I feel up there, which can change on a daily basis, depending on my mood. Now let's go to a different job. So in 2005, you played a Bev. I want to say Beverly Allit, but it could be Beverly Allit, Allit. I'm not <laughs> in Angel of Death. This was a dramatization of the crimes of, you know, a child serial killer, something incredibly serious. What was your approach to playing a real person as an actor, especially someone who committed such horrific crimes? Because you often hear of actors in biopics or dramatizations doing a ton of research. Did you do anything of that sort? And if so, how much of it was actually useful? One of my problems in life is that my ability to remember things and retain information is very poor. But they sent me a load of videos. And so for me, really, and I did a lot of research on her at the time. For me, it was really finding the way she physically moved. So it was a, a real f- sort of physical approach to her. God, it was so long ago. And I'd actually just given birth when I shot that. So it was quite harrowing. Oh, wow. You put yourself yeah. through the atrocities of, of what happened. I mean, I'm potentially, you know, we're trying to develop something at the moment which would involve also playing a, a real character. And the question about whether you'd want to meet someone came up. And and is that a glorification of someone? And, I, you know, it's really, I don't know, because as an actor, I'm like, I think I would want to meet them because I want to, have, you know, speak to them and find out how they speak and observe their movements and all that sort of thing. But there's a different conversation around how appropriate that is if somebody has done something really bad. But I think the more you know, the more prepared you are, the more you can get that person in your skin, under your skin, I suppose. So they sent me a lot of videos of her sort of coming out of jails and interviews that she'd done in the in the home that she was in. And I can remember being quite thorough on my research back then yeah and the uh, final question i'll be really interested to get your thoughts on um from from eastenders to the bill to wired dumping ground and, and many many more a huge amount of your time in your career has been on our screens in shows on British TV networks, you know, BBC, ITV, CBBC, Channel 5 and others. These platforms are being put under incredible scrutiny and pressure due to your Netflixes, your Amazon, Apple. Do you think these channels can survive the way they're going? And if not, what do you think they need to be doing differently to, oh to, to adapt? Um, I don't know is the answer. I don't know. Certain programmes have certain audiences, you know, that Oh, gosh, if I knew the answer to that, then I don't know, I'd sort of have, probably have a better job and be advising people in a better way. I think there's something that's come out recently that's, that you that is just being dropped weekly, which I, I really love. Not that that's relevant to the question at all, but it just sort of reminds me of that old school way of, t- of watching TV and because people are watching it so differently now. I think they've all got a life in front of them, sure. But as we can see, they're all sort of changing and you've got iPlayer and and all those sort of things. So I think it will definitely shift. But the honest answer is I don't know. I don't think I have a proper answer for you on that, I'm afraid. What do you think? I think it's going to be incredibly tough with the sheer amount of money that Netflix and Apple and and people like that are pouring into it. 
obviously the BBC, as far as I understand, strapped for cash compared to that. Yeah. But I think there's a collaboration to be had there. If you look at Doctor Who, for example, right? So they brought Russell T Davies back and they've now got a collaboration with the BBC and Disney Plus. So for UK viewers, it will be on BBC. And then for everyone else, I think it will be on Disney Plus if they want to watch it on Disney Plus. And once it's come out on BBC, it will then come out on Disney Plus in the UK. I think that's how it's structured. But I guess the core point is that it's collaboration, that you can have these big streaming platforms working with some of these core channels and things like that. And as you say, Charlie, there are core audiences that will, you know, especially for soaps and things like that, there are those are the channel, those are the the programs that they have a loyal fan base that will watch it week in, week out, and it will always be there. But I think a willingness to change, a willingness to change, but not to lose your core values, I guess, it'll be really interesting to see where it goes. And I think it would be a real shame if places like the BBC and ITV and Channel 4 were, would really struggle from an actor's yeah. perspective, because the amount of actors that start their career with a day player role on a soap or a bit part in a drama where they hand a folder to a lead actor and they say, oh, here's your papers, mom, or whatever, and those actors might never have got anywhere without that experience. I think us as actors need to hope and pray or be a part of the fact that these channels need to carry on. Otherwise, some people are going to be in big trouble because, you mm. know, you won't get on the sets of the massive streaming shows. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, I totally we'll agree. But the, tr- the trouble is how much do people like change within those channels, the people that pull the strings there, you know, they like to hold on to traditions and they like things done the way they were. And actually, we need to be open to those conversations. We'll see what happens. But anyway, we're going to go on to a really fun way to end our podcast. Everyone loves the rapid fire section. I, I hype it up every time for no reason whatsoever. It's 10 totally stupid questions, sort of industry actory ish related. And we would like you to answer them if possible in a sentence or less. So I will start with the first question, Christian, and then we'll crack on from there. Go. What makes a good actor? Somebody who's able to listen and not be self-conscious. Oh God, that's a terrible answer. I think listening is probably the most important thing that an actor can have. Theatre or cinema? I love both, but I'm going to the theatre today, not the cinema. So let's say theatre. Biggest industry pet peeve? Oh God, industry pet peeve. Let me come back to it. I can't think of one. Should everyone listen to the In The Room podcast? Absolutely, 100%. (laughs) Comedy or drama? I haven't done much comedy, so I'm going to go drama, but I would like to do more comedy. A skill every actor should have. A skill every actor should have would be... Oh, God, I do these quick fire questions when I do my Q&As and now I know how they feel. <laughs> um, a skill every actor should have... I don't know, listening again, I suppose. That's really boring. That's so boring. It's the truth, though. It's right. Your greatest strength? My greatest strength would be... Are you going to be able to edit this down, these big, long gaps? <laughs> if it takes out the pauses, we're all good. But if it stays in, it's quality entertainment as well, Charlie. We've got both bases covered. I don't know how entertaining this is, Matt. <laughs> my, my clear, I, I think I'm brave. Your biggest weakness? I mean, peanut butter's one. And <laughs> self-doubt. Self-tape or in the room audition? In the room. The title of your autobiography? Finding Charlie. I love that. We'll just point out to listeners that Charlie, is, as she mentioned, is touring the UK at the moment, doing possibly two shows a day, going all over the place, doing doing these these plays. And we're currently recording this episode, started at 10am on Easter Sunday. And Charlie came on after getting back to uh, the accommodation or, or wherever it is at 3am last night and still bothered to come on to talk to us today. So, I mean, that deserves props, respect and love from us. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today, Charlie. It 
It was brilliant. It was lovely to chat to you. We're really looking, you. looking forward to seeing what you do next. We'd love to have a look at I Am Pro. And it's just been fantastic to talk to you. So thank you so much for joining us in the room today. And we'll let you go off, rest, recuperate and relax. Amazing. Boys, thank you so much. 